Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Well, hello and welcome to episode 44 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, 44 episodes. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Yeah, fall is finally here uh, in the Carolinas. It cooled down below 100 degrees this week, which was nice. I got to get outside and not sweat to death, which was good. So how did you celebrate the first couple of days of fall? I covered pumpkin spice and everything, and then I got orange dazzle drape all over my house. Oh, yes, you did. You uh, had the house all decked out for Halloween already. Uh, well, you're uh, making making some strides. You got the uh, the first little bit done. Had some spider webs going on. Have a uh, skeleton uh, hanging in the tree, which is very scary when you're driving out of your driveway at night. I will. I have to say. So I guess mission accomplished on those. So thank you, my son. We take Halloween very seriously in our house. So my son is wrestling with you know the the humane crisis of. Uh, that all six-year-olds wrestle with, which is what is he going to be for Halloween? So Mm -hmm. we think it's going to be a Marvel character. He has kind of long hair um, these days. We have yet to give him a real haircut in a while um, because I don't know how to cut hair and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, he has this beautiful like shoulder length hair. So we're thinking Thor is where we're going to go. Okay. Um, but th- but then we like to do a big family kind of theme. So I don't know. I'm probably going to end up being a chubby black widow. I-, I-, I see it coming. There's just no fighting it. I really just need to let it happen. But I'm kind of dreading it. Um, yeah. What about you? What have you done? What- what's been going on with you? In, uh, yeah. So fall? I've been... Yeah, I've been spending some time outside. We had some family in town. So that was good. Got to see them spend some quality time together. And uh, yeah, enjoying the weather for sure. Got to watch some stuff. So I watched through all of the new Star Wars Visions anime shorts on Disney Plus, which are incredible. I uh, highly recommend those. So go check them out. They range, I think, from like 13 to 22 minutes each. So uh, you can knock out all nine in like the length of like a movie. So uh, that's, yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. Uh, highly recommend that. And, you know, just been having some good uh, fall drinks, you know, some uh, Oktoberfest beers, always good this time of year. Uh, that's what I've been getting into uh, mostly myself. But Michaela, before we get into this week's episode, inquiring minds want to know, did you ever get sent to detention in high school? That that would be a negative. I was uh, I was an angel. I did nothing nope. wrong ever. Uh, no. Okay. Well, one person's angel is another person's square. Um, but I also <laughs> was an angel and never got sent to detention. Uh, so I don't I don't even know if we can relate to this week's movie. But what yeah. do you what do you think? Is detention was that a deterrent for you? Were you like, nah, I got to be good, so I don't get sent to detention? Or? To be honest, I went to a school where I don't even think they had detention. So I went to kind no. of a charter magnet school that was within a bigger public school. So it was still a public school, um, okay. but, but it was very small and it was communications um, special as it specialized in communications. So while you did all the normal stuff like reading and math and science and English, you also had these communication courses. And so our teachers were also our principals. We had three of them. It was kind of a strange uh, setup and it was really, really cool. I loved my school, but Honestly, I don't think we had a lot of behavioral issues at that school. Now, the school that we were attached to was like a huge school. It was 35 or 4,000 kids. 
Oh, and okay. 3,500 or 4,000 kids. And it was called a 5A school because it was enormous. And they had all the things that a regular high school would have. So I'm sure they had detention. But I never, I don't know anybody in my school of 86 people <laughs> get detention. I don't know. Um, but no, I don't know if it would have been that a, a, a big deterrent. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it might have been. If you have to go to a detention on a Saturday, you know, if you have to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was that we did wrong, we'll need some cocktails if we have to spend a whole Saturday in detention, Michaela. Yeah, I'm I'm sneaking some stuff in. It's going to be amazing. I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, I do know what we're going to do. We, we should sneak five in, though. One for every personality that we are going to encounter. That's right. We should have a cocktail for each one of us. So why don't we take a quick break and then we're going to get back and talk about those cocktails and this week's film, The Breakfast Club. So this week's cocktails, uh, and we're doing something that we've never done before at Drink the Movies. We're actually going to do five cocktails to one movie. So uh, we're going to move pretty quickly. We're doing things a little bit different this episode, but I think that it's going to be worth it in the end. Yeah, Um, well, we we did three cocktails for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We did three versions of a whiskey sour, but three is not enough. We got three we is gotta, not enough. Got to keep going up, right? Especially when these things, these personalities, and these drinks are so different. Now they came from ChilledMagazine.com, and basically the article walks us through uh, a Breakfast Club themed cocktail dinner at this LA restaurant called Pistola. I hope I'm saying that right. It Mm -hmm. sounded like it was an amazing time. These drinks were very exotic sounding. They were very, uh, I mean, very different ingredients. And we did our best to recreate them. And they were Mm -hmm. celebrating the anniversary of the Breakfast Club. And so they did a cocktail for each of the personalities and characters in the film. We strive to recreate those. And we're going to tell you about them. So let's dive in. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so the the thing about these cocktails is that they were... Uh, pretty, pretty fancy. So it took a lot of, a lot of new ingredients, a lot of new techniques. Um, but it was, uh, it was fun to go through. So yeah, like Michaela said, we're changing it up and incorporating the movie and the cocktail together. So we should probably have a spoiler warning, Michaela. Yes. So spoiler warning, The Breakfast Club came out in 1985. And if you've not seen it, then you apparently aren't really a John Hughes fan. Um, because it is one, if not, it's, arguably his best, most popular John Hughes film ever of all time. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, 37 years old now or something. So you've had plenty of time to see it. So we're going to be talking a lot about the characters. We're definitely going to be talking about the end. So if that's not going to, if, if you haven't seen it, go watch it and then come back and we can talk about it. Yeah. And I hadn't seen this in quite a while. I was looking for it to, you know, figure out how I was going to rewatch it. It wasn't the easiest one to find. I ended up having to rent it because it wasn't available to stream anywhere, um, at least that I could find. Um, But yeah, this one came out in 1985. It was written and directed by John Hughes, and it stars a lot of up-and-coming actors, um, some 80s icons, and, you know, the whole cast of characters that went on to have some pretty spectacular careers. But we're going to get into that as we kind of go through these cocktails and talk about the movies. So, this movie gets started. Uh, you have uh, Simple Minds uh, anthem just playing. Don't you forget about me? Uh, that's how it starts, and it goes through the uh, cast of characters and like this bright yellow letters just on the screen. And the stage is set at Shermer High School. 
Yes, Shermer, like, I don't know, half of his other films was outside of Chicago. So again, it's a, it's a fictional school, but it's set kind of in the same area. The first person we meet is Richard Vernon, who is played by Paul Gleason. He is the assistant principal, and uh, he's kind of setting up uh, the library, I guess, because that's where this is supposed mm -hmm. to be happening. Yeah. And over over this kind of montage of him setting it up, you hear um, somebody writing, uh, reading a letter or a or a story that they've written, and basically mm -hmm. it says we, you know. We accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday and attention for whatever it, it was that we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain, an athlete, and a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. And so it kind of starts with this very cryptic message mm -hmm. to the principal yeah it's kind of like panning around the school right so as it goes it shows brain and it's like a classroom it shows athlete it's like in the locker room uh basket case it's showing like some like what are those called like horseshack like drawings <laughs> on like the principal's right. desk or whatever um you know princess is showing like the prom thing and then criminal it's showing like this uh you know graffitied up uh locker uh and yeah that's how it starts uh richard vernon getting this set up and you'll see the kids kind of arriving to the school you know one at a time in their uh parents car and their parents are you know kind of telling them what they need to do or how they need to spend their day in uh detention i guess to become better citizens of the world, I guess, as it were, in right. their parents' eyes. Yeah, what their what their parents' expectation is at the end of this, right? So um, the very first one you see is Brian Johnson, who's played beautifully by Anthony Michael Hall. You know, mm -hmm. he is what we would consider the brain, right? So he's young. He's I think he's maybe a sophomore, or is he a freshman? Uh, I, I don't know what grade he is in, but yeah, he is the first one that we see. He's getting there with his mother i believe yes. yeah he's getting he's getting there with his mother she's telling him to make sure he spends the day studying uh he doesn't know if he's allowed to study in you know this detention but she tells him to find a way the front license plate on their car is e equals mc squared uh and a lot of pressure on this kid so the first character is a brain brian a johnson brain. Pl played by anthony michael hall and let's run through his cocktail for everyone michaela his cocktail was very involved. A lot, all of these are, but um, it's two yes. ounces of brown butter washed Buffalo Trace bourbon. Mm -hmm. Then there's an, an egg white, just one. There's an ounce of cold pressed organic Fuji apple juice, half an ounce of cold pressed carrot juice, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, and then Agostura bitters, but it's in an atomizer because you're going to spray it on the top of the drink. You're not going to mm -hmm. shake it. You're going to spray it. This comes uh, right. in really important later. So let's talk a little bit about this drink. Uh, Brian, you actually made the brown butter washed bourbon yourself. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. So the, the cocktail recipe and for this dinner, they used Buffalo trace bourbon, which would have been easier to get in uh, 2015 or whatever this this was happening. Buffalo Trace is near impossible to get now, um, especially to make butter wash version of it for this cocktail. So I used Elijah Craig, which is my favorite kind of uh, 
more affordable uh, bourbon, kind of a good everyday bourbon. It's really mm-hmm. good. So to make that, you just take two ounces or two cups of the bourbon, 16 ounces, and you take one stick of butter and you take the stick of butter, you put it on the stove top and you put it over medium heat until the butter starts to brown. And then you combine that with the bourbon, let it sit overnight in the fridge, and then you strain out the uh, buttery solids. Uh, and you're left with this bourbon, which tastes like bourbon and fat basically. Um, so yeah. it's not, it's not very good to drink by itself because I did that. I had a, a little glass of it just on its own, not very good, but in a cocktail, it's really good because the fat, you know, plays with like the, that like coating on your tongue and it, you know, plays with these other flavors like the carrot juice and things like, like that. But yeah, this one came together. Um, what did you think about this one, Michaela? I thought it was great. So one of the things that we did, well, we shook it up and put it in a very nice glass. Now with the Angostura bitters in an atomizer, what we did to make it look really cool was we created a. Yeah. Like a little stencil of yes. e equals MC squared and use yes. that to spray because Angostura bitters is kind of, kind of orange, right? It almost looks like a, like what's that uh, stuff you put on your cuts. That's kind of what it looks like. So <laughs> it looks like iodine. Iodine. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what yeah. it looks like. It's, it does. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's what it tastes like, but that's kind of what it looks like on top of this foamy uh, you yeah. know, egg froth cocktail. So Yeah. So it looks really beautiful in the glass and it's got this, you know, very, you know, kind of geeky equals MC square insignia on it. Um, it tasted really good. It was one of those that um, I'd probably have uh, again. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely, it's a kind of a pretty pinkish uh color from the carrot juice it's not super orangey because there's only half an ounce in there but i really liked it i thought this was good um it's a lot of work to do to put this one together because of all the extra things you have to do so i think it's worth your time especially if you're a bourbon person you should really Mm -hmm. give this one a try yeah and i mean you could probably make this and get away with it without doing the butter wash part of the bourbon. If you didn't want to do that, you could just use some regular bourbon and those flavors would probably taste okay together um, as is. Uh, but the other fun part about this one is it gets garnished with a little tiny peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which Michaela made with the crust cut off uh, because our character here, Brian Johnson, that's what he has when it's lunchtime in the movie, The Breakfast Club. So uh, Michaela, Brian, AKA the brain of this group. So he's in detention uh, he's having having a rough time with his family and the pressures being put on him in this film. Yeah, and they, once they get to the point where they're done kind of bullying each other and calling each other names, uh, they f- have this moment where they kind of open up around how they got in detention, why they're there, what, why, you know, why do they feel the way they do? And one of the things that he had said um, was that you know his parents really expect him to just make all A's all the time. He was in. Uh, he took woodshop, which mm-hmm. he thought was going to be really easy. Turns out woodshop is not so easy. He was supposed to make a lamp out of an elephant and it was supposed to like work and <laughs> using, I don't know, he was pulling the the tail or he's mm-hmm. going to be pulling the trunk yeah, you, and the, you pull the light trunk, was yeah. supposed to come on. It was supposed to come on. Yeah. Sounds really lame to me. I don't know. It's 2021. So I don't know, but um, it didn't work. He was not feeling good about it. And so he got in trouble because he decided to bring a flare gun to school. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, just feeling the pressure from his parents, right? So he had gotten straight A's until he took this 
a shop class, which he thought was going to be easy. I got an F in it and he was, his back was up against the wall, right? He, he knew that there was no way, even if he got straight A's on all of the rest of his classes, it still wasn't going to be, you know, above like a B grade point average. And that was not going to be enough for his very demanding parents. Like we said, when he got there, his mom's, you know, basically saying like, well, you're in Saturday detention. So make sure that you study all day and, you know, do all of your, do all of your stuff so you can stay ahead, you know, high expectations for this kid. Yeah. And just, just kind of the, the weight of the parents, I guess on him. Yeah. It's actually really well done. I mean, Anthony Michael Hall, he, he was kind of in this brat pack, right. And he was famous for being kind of this, you know, awkward teenage kid obsessed with girls, right. In most, Mm -hmm. (laughs) most films, that's kind of what we identify with him as he does a really good job of showing how hard it is when you're trying to do really well and the pressure um, that you can feel that's put on you by society and your parents. And um, it's really well done. Uh, It ends up being kind of comedic at the end, um, but it did touch on this. There was a couple of moments that I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed where it really got very serious because you don't know that he, it's a flare gun at first. You think he's brought Mm -hmm. like a gun, like a real gun to school. And you don't know if he was contemplating um, you know, suicide or something else, even more sinister. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. He, but he, he definitely um, felt like he was going to crack under that pressure. Um, turns out it was a flare gun. So he just got detention and uh, he doesn't know how to tell his parents, but, um, but that's kind of where he's at. So he's like, my parents are awful and they don't get me. They don't understand me. Um, yeah. But he's considered the brain of this group because he's the one who's you know, in the chess club and making all A's and doing really well. Yeah. He's in the, uh, uh, what is he's in the physics club, I think. Oh, sorry. Uh, they, yeah. They, they, they talk about they physical concepts point, all day. Yeah. He, and, uh, you know, he's asked, you know, what do you do in the physics club? And he's like, well, we do physics and talk about doing physics, uh, which sounds like a hoot, I will say, but, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. And he's, he's so excellent. You, You'll see him like throughout the film, kind of stealing glances at, um, at Claire, uh, you know, the princess Molly Ringwald, um, you know, and just has this real subtle way of acting, um, you know, and just really great for you know someone so young and uh, this this kind of a, a story, uh, just just really fantastic in it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and he's he's totally different than the next character we're going to talk about, which is the athlete, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Which is uh, Andrew Clark played by Emilio Estevez. Very different. In fact, you know, as he's getting bullied, uh, Brian, you know, Andrew comes to his rescue a couple of times and tries Mm -hmm. to defend him. Right. Um, But yeah, you see, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teenage angst in every single one of these. Um, This one I really think is, uh, it, it's just all the Jägermeister that Andrew is probably drinking is what I he's, think it is. Yeah. He's probably drinking a lot. Well, maybe he's not drinking enough, but it sounds like his dad is drinking a lot. Um, and we had to drink some for our cocktail. So uh, let's run through this recipe here real, real quick. So this is the athlete. It's one and a half ounces of Jägermeister spice. Uh, side note, you can't get that. A uh, half ounce of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of this puree, um, a quarter ounce of cane syrup and then one whole egg. So this is, uh, I don't want to say it's thick, but this is a protein laden drink. So I'm going to talk about the Jägermeister spice. Cause I had to kind of recreate that because like I said, you can't get it. I think it's, it's either a seasonal item or it was like a one-off kind of special item. 
that they might have had. But Jägermeister Spice is like a vanilla and cinnamon forward Jägermeister. So what I did was I got a bottle of Jägermeister and I took two ounces of it out and replaced those two ounces with some uh, just like bourbon vanilla, like liquid vanilla that you get for your baking stuff. And I added a cinnamon stick and a uh, one of those little oak uh, like infuse infusion spirals into it to kind of soften the notes of the Jägermeister, that like black licorice anise flavor uh, to tone that down a little bit. And I have to say that this was pretty delicious because I'm not a huge Jägermeister fan because I don't like the anise part of it, but this, yeah, this mellowed it out and was really good. You know, kind of the sip or two I had of it on its own outside of this cocktail. Yeah, I I, I think I can safely say that was the best part of this whole cocktail uh, because with the lemon juice, there was this puree that needed to be created and the puree was equal parts roasted cauliflower, almonds, and medjool dates. Now, Mm -hmm. The ingredients list didn't explain very well what we were supposed to do with this stuff. So let me just tell you what I did. So I roasted cauliflower with like the most minimal olive oil possible because I wanted it to be as cleanly cauliflower as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I did soak the almonds overnight uh, just to make it easier for them to puree. And then the medjool dates, you're going to have to make sure that you open those suckers up and take out the the nuts that are on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. And so it creates this really thick paste. And I think it's fine if you add a little water to it, um, just to make sure mm-hmm. that you can uh, really get it as pureed as possible. It's hard with the almonds. So just do the best you can. I use Vitamix. I bet if you have a Ninja or some, you know, really high priced, overpriced, you know, thing that you bought at Costco, it will work beautifully. So just do your best. Um, But you're only going to need three quarters of an ounce of it because you're going to add it to all of these other ingredients and when you shake it up. Okay. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, then you're going to pour it out. Now, one of the things that I loved about this drink was it also had a beautiful like mini carrot garnish that Mm -hmm. we put on the top. And so it, it looks like a peanut butter protein shake. Mm-hmm. But it does not taste anything like a peanut butter protein <laughs> shake. It, yeah, yeah. This this was probably my least favorite of all five of the drinks that we're going to go through today. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I th- mind saying. I th- I think that kind of the inspiration for this was meant to you know make this be almost like a liquid like protein bar, like that you would get right if you like blended blended one up into a smoothie. That's kind of what this was supposed to be. But this was this was not great. So everything we just said about this cocktail, don't do any of it. Uh, it's good. You can make the Jägermeister spice if you want to, if you want to do that, if you want to play around with some uh, Jägermeister, but yeah, this one, this one just didn't do it for me. And sometimes I'll have a cocktail like that where like, I'll have a, a sip of it and I'm like, yeah, I don't really get this. This just doesn't work in. And then I'll have, you know, another sip or two and it starts to, you know, the flavors yeah. start to start to make sense together. But, but this one, uh, I just, I just couldn't get through it. I don't think either of us finished ours. I did a little bit more on mine, but yeah, I know. No, I got about halfway through and I had to give up the ghost. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe the whole egg. I, I just don't know. It's the, the best part about this drink. Legit is the Jägermeister spice. And everybody should go try that because it is really, really nice. And it's it's nice cold if you wanted to like uh, warm it up and add it to coffee. I bet that would be amazing mm, because of the mm-hmm. fall flavors yep. and things. I I. I, if nothing else, if it led us to just learning how to make Jägermeister spice, it would have been worth it. But the rest of this drink, not my favorite. Uh, I think people can skip it. 
yeah, yeah. skip it. But uh, but <laughs> what but what about our character here in this film? So Andrew Clark, played by Emilio Estevez, he's the athlete. He is a he's a high school wrestler. Apparently, uh, pretty good. He's wearing like his varsity letter jacket, of course, because that's that's what you do in high school movies to indicate that you're an athlete. Uh, he's getting dropped off by his dad. His dad is telling him, you know, that you know to make sure he he has to go to Saturday. Uh, detention so he can stay on track because he doesn't want to meet like his next like wrestling match because you know he wants to get that scholarship wants to get to college and be a a real man's man and you know do good at the sports at the shooty hoops and you know it doesn't doesn't really matter what andrew clark wants yeah yeah andrew you know while they're having their moment right where they're all kind of going this round robin of who they are and what situation they're in he also expresses uh, displeasure at being, you know, kind of his life run by his parents. His father, mm-hmm. you know, kept telling him he needed to be one of the guys and do the guy thing. And, um, you know, Andrew seems to be pretty sensitive. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the one who comes to Brian's aid when Brian is getting bullied by, you know, one of the other characters. Um, but Andrew's made some mistakes, right? He he ends up, he's in detention because he, um, bullied uh, pretty severely, actually, a uh, another teammate, uh, and mm-hmm. he like duct taped this guy, um, and it ended up really hurting him when they tried to remove the duct tape off of him. And it was this prank that was supposed to have gone. It was just a prank that gone that went wrong. Um, but you know, Reed's, having him tell the story, uh, it's very hard to have a lot of sympathy for him. But then he's acted so beautifully by Emilio Estevez. You still do because he's just a kid who was trying to do something that he envisioned his dad, like being really proud of, like, and mm-hmm. even his dad, when he's dropping him off, he's like, you know what? I screwed around, but you got caught. And that's really the problem here. It's not yeah, well, that it, he duct taped some dude and it hurt him. It's that he got caught. And so yeah, it just it makes you really think like, man, there are people out there that that really yeah. just don't get it at all. Yeah, <laughs> and you think I, I, that. Yeah, I actually really loved um, his character and kind of his realization with that. Um, so, you know, towards the end of the end of the film, when they're, you know, kind of sitting around, they'd uh, smoked a little bit of uh, of marijuana and they're kind of, you know, going over this stuff. And he's having kind of this real emotional, like you said, he's he is, you know, he comes across as kind of you know, he's, he's a sensitive guy, but he's trying to, trying to be a tough guy to appease his dad, but he's talking and he's like, I don't know how, you know, that kid would have, you know, went home and told his parents what happened. And he's like, and I don't know how I'm supposed to apologize for something that terrible. He's like, why would I do that? And it's because uh, that's what his dad wanted him to do. And Allison, uh, you know, one of the girls in detention uh, with him, that's what she says, you know, as they're kind of going around and identifying, you know, all of their problems and how they ended up in detention. She says, you do what people tell you to do, right? You don't, you're not thinking for yourself. You're just, you know, kind of going with, going with the crowd, going with what your dad says, whether it's what you want to do or what you think is right. Um, And I think that you'll see kind of that, character development for him. Like you said, he comes to Brian's aid a lot. Uh, Brian, in fairness, comes to his aid uh, quite a bit as well. But, um, you know, he's sort of sort of standing up for kids, which you don't get the feeling is something that his dad would have been proud of him for doing. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's it, it, the, the, both of those really kind of are this juxtaposition of humanity that play really beautifully together. Um, but also we, you know, we see him connect 
nicely with Allison, who is the quote unquote basket case, right? Played mm-hmm. by yep. the wonderful Ali Sheedy. Um, you know, this this drink was was one of the more involved uh, drinks that we also had to make. I mean, all these drinks mm-hmm. are pretty uh, pretty fancy, but um, this one definitely, I think, did the best to pay homage to the character itself, just because of all the things that it has in it. I'll run through this one because this one this one's a milk punch, um, it, which we've done a couple times now on Drink the Movies. But um, so to put this one together, so you're going to basically take uh, 30 ounces of milk and you're going to take three cups of Captain Crunch in it. Um, we'll kind of go through these ingredients and why they make sense for the character here in a second. But uh, so you're going to soak the Captain Crunch in the milk for about three minutes and then you're going to pull it out. Or you're gonna, you know, scoop out the Captain Crunch, leave the milk behind, and just warm that up. You know, you just not quite to a boil, but you just want it to be warm. And then you're going to add that to 15 ounces of vodka, uh, five ounces of apple brandy, five ounces of coconut chai masala tea, and in the recipe they want you to add it to an oleo saccharum mixture, uh, which I didn't know what was. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that you, Michaela, also did not know what that was. Did not have a clue. Yeah, so me either. So I looked it up, and uh, in the instructions, they say to take the peels from five lemons and combine that with some sugar, Um, and that basically kind of steeps this uh, lemony goodness out into the sugar, which is going to make the milk separate and give you this clarified milk punch. Now, I actually tried that, and it didn't really work that good. So I made a second batch of this where I just used some lemon juice and some simple syrup and got, got it to separate. And you'll see the pictures of it on our you know website and Instagram, all that stuff um, to get this clarified milk punch. But uh, Michaela, this one was pretty tasty. Yeah, this was my favorite. Uh, not only because I think it tastes better than all of the others, um, but I thought that it paid homage to the character of Alison Reynolds the best. Um, it's served, uh, you know, it's it's got this really great Captain Crunch flavor. I love Captain Crunch. It's one of my, the, like the three cereals that I grew up with as a kid. Love it, love it, love it. Um, but it's also very adult because you get this coconut chai, the chai and the masala uh, mm-hmm. kind of, it's, it's very spicy. Um, and it's very adult because of all the alcohol in it. But the way that it's served with the little pixie stick straw, because she, when she's having lunch, she basically is, uh, she destroys her sandwich and rebuilds it by building it full of Captain Crunch. She puts like three cups of Captain Crunch on mm-hmm. the sandwich yeah. and then like four pixie stick straws. And like, then like, I don't know, gobbles the sandwich up with, she looks like a mad person, like, like yeah. eating. <laughs> yes. It's very messy. So I guess depending on your personal taste, you might think that her Captain Crunch Pixie Six sandwich was worse than her first sandwich, which was a slice of olive loaf, uh, which if you don't know is like some weird like chipped ham thing that has olives strewn about in it. I love olive loaf. Uh, it's one of my dad's favorite lunch meats. So we always had it in the house, like when I was growing up. Uh, Michaela, olive loaf fan. No. Okay. Oh, that no. sounds vile. So, <laughs> like they're pieces of olive in meat. Yeah. Yeah. There's olives in it. And I mean, you can so see I it thought, really. I, I thought it was just moldy because there was green and then she threw it up and it ended up hitting the statue. Yeah. It got stuck to the statue. No, those are olives. That's olive loaf. You should oh try my it. Gosh. Okay. I will give it a shot. I promise give it a tr- to try it. Give it a try. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So you might like the Captain Crunch sandwich better, but yeah, this one was 
extra delicious. And I love apple brandy and I'm so happy I have a bottle of it now. Um, especially now that it's fall because the apple brandy is excellent in the fall, I'm guessing. So absolutely. And you know, this was one of the more involved ones, I will say, because you had to make the oleosaccharum mixture. You had to make the milk punch because once we put it together, it was super easy. Um, yeah. Cause once, right? once you make it, yeah. Cause I, I mean, in, in the bottle of it, that it made it, it probably makes what, like eight cocktails worth, maybe eight to 10 cocktails, yeah. something like that out of it. You're, and you just, you just pour it out over some ice. Um, like you said, we use like a little, we use like a little like pixie stick colored kind of straw kind of thing in yeah. there. And then, you, and then you top it with some, uh, coconut flakes if you want, because she has dandruff in her hair. Um, we didn't, uh, do the coconut cause I don't like it. So we did white sprinkles instead, uh, which were also extra delicious with the, uh, the captain crunch. So yes, even more sugar. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and this character is amazing. She's she is enigmatic, uh, uh, Allison Reynolds, because mm-hmm. you don't really know what's going on. She probably has the least amount of dialogue in the entire uh, group. Yeah, so the movie is like 90, 95 minutes long, something like that. And she probably doesn't say anything for like the first hour of it, give or take. It just kind of, it kind of, you know, like flashes to her and she's doing something oddball, right? She's like, yeah. she's like chewing her like fingernails, like making this super loud noise with it. She's making this crazy sandwich. She's, you know, stealing pens and stuff from, from people. And, you know, she's, she's draw- using making snow for her picture that she's drawing. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful picture, but yeah, she's using her she's like scratching her dandruff out of her hair to make make snow on it. So yeah, she's she's definitely kind of odd, and we find out why she you know is kind of acting this way, and it's because you know kind of her, um, you know ter- her inner turmoil that she's getting. She's not getting like any attention at home. As uh, so you you get the feeling her parents are yeah you know not not paying any attention to her either you know too busy working or you know whatever the case case may be. Um, but yeah, she's not getting any attention. So you, you think she's just kind of acting this way and acting out and acting odd because that seems to get her some attention um, right. that she might not be getting otherwise. So yeah. Negative attention is still attention. Uh, everybody, yep. uh, even if you're talking, uh, telling someone that they're crazy or, uh, that they're weird, uh, it's still better than nothing. And you see, she was the only one when she was dropped off. Um, she tr- actually is in the back seat. She gets out. She goes to try and like tell, talk to her parents, and they literally drive off without even like saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really strange and it's very sad. Um, there's this really beautiful scene that I love between uh, Andrew Clark and Allison Reynolds. So that's Emilio Estevez and Ali Sheedy, and he is trying to talk to her and. Uh, get her to open up and she tells the story that you know they her parents they don't they ignore her completely and he kind of gets it and um, you feel like they really connect on this issue because they both feel just so disconnected from their parents like their Mm -hmm. parents don't know who they are at all and I think a little of that is healthy when you're a teenager right you're trying to figure it out your parents are you know, trying to figure it out. They have their own ideas of what they want you to be. So it's a little sure, attention yeah. is supposed to happen. But, you know, Allison Reynolds, um, she ends up really befriending Claire, who we're about to talk to, about. She's the princess played by Molly Ringwald. And, you know, Allison 
you know, she looks very different. She's wearing black on black on black. In fact, they had to specially go out and make her costume. They couldn't just source it because it was the eighties and all she wanted to wear for her character was black just to stand Mm -hmm. out and look really weird. Um, And that was not normal in, I guess, 1984. So they had to like make all of her clothes. Anyway, Alison mm-hmm. Reynolds ends up getting um, kind of a makeover by the end of the film where they take off all her weird, you know, very dark, smoky eye um, makeup that was not really all that cool in 1984. And, you know, they end up brightening her up, putting on like real lip gloss. And she looks completely transformed by the end of this film. So, of course, mm-hmm. Andrew Clark's character is like, wow. You know, and he's just, right. you look so different. And then they share a kiss at the end while they're getting picked up. And uh, you don't really, you don't really think, you know that she's sad, but it's, it's, they, it's so understated because she doesn't talk much about anything, right? She just says mm-hmm. her parents ignore her. So you don't know how neglected she actually is, but it, it, you could play it kind of any way you want. Um, mm-hmm. but she's a, she's a great character and this, this is by far the best cocktail of this grouping in my opinion. So if you have nothing, if you do no other cocktail, please do this one, ladies and gentlemen, cause it's awesome. Yeah. Try this one or at least pick up some apple brandy cause it's, it's delicious, but yeah, she's, um, to me, she's probably the most identifiable character, but yeah, she doesn't say a lot, but you know, by the end of the film, she kind of has all of the other characters pegged, um, because she's just been kind of observing, uh, this thing, you know, even, even with her, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stranger antics that she has going on. Um, and yeah, and we find out why is, why is she in detention? Uh, she just went because she didn't have anything better to do. Um, she's not getting attention at home. So I guess you might as well go to school and, uh, meet some other, you know, sort of like outcast type, uh, kids, maybe you could connect with. Um, and I guess that, uh, this particular Saturday was the day for that for Allison Reynolds. Um, but you know who didn't want to be at Saturday detention, didn't think she deserved to be there or belong there, and that is a princess, and that would be Claire Standish, played by Molly Ringwald. Yep. Yeah, she goes so far as to try and tell Mr. Vernon uh, that there's been some terrible mistake. She should not be in the same room with all these people because she didn't do anything that bad, and um, it's very quick. She's, we're actually kind of the movie starts with uh, us knowing that she has cut school to go shopping with her friends and mm-hmm. she got caught. So she gets a, a day of Saturday detention uh, for that. And, um, but she's really, she probably has the, maybe the biggest change in character and the biggest level of growth, mm-hmm. I think out of all of these um, over the course of this day, because she starts off um not wanting to have anything to do with any of these people. She thinks she's above them. She judges them. Um, She makes faces at them. She will talk back to them. Um, There's another character, uh, John, who is just really bullying and she doesn't put up with it at all. She kind of, you know, gives it Mm -hmm. right back to him. But at the end of the day, she has the biggest, you know, kind of visible breakdown of, you know, she is really popular and everybody expects her to do all the things that they want her to do. And she didn't really want to go shopping, but what was she supposed to do? And, you know, when um, Brian asks the question, hey, at the end of this, are we all still going to be friends? Because kind of they've broken down these barriers and they've talked, mm-hmm. they've opened up to each other. 
she's very quick to be like, no, on Monday, I will not be friends with any of you. And I'm sorry, but I won't be. (laughs) It's really awful. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's because she's a princess. So she gets dropped off by her dad and she tells, or she asks him, she's like, there wasn't anything you could do to get me out of having to do this. And he's like, I'll make it up to you, you know, after I'll take you shopping or uh, something like that. But yeah, what do you need if you're a princess and you need a, a cocktail to go with it? And this one is very a princess, like a very good brunch uh, cocktail if you want to uh, go that route with it. So to make the princess, uh, you're going to need one ounce of rose petal infused vodka. Now we used Effin uh, brand vodka. They make a rosé vodka, uh, which I think was probably pretty close to what we needed. You could also just take some vodka and throw a couple of uh, rose petals in it for you know, a week or so to let that kind of infuse or, you know, go about it, you know, some other way doing some uh, rose, you know, kind of liqueur or something like that, but you're going to need an ounce of it. You're going to need a half an ounce of what they call it pomplemousse in the, in the recipe directions on the website, uh, which pomplemousse is a grapefruit. So you'll need a half ounce of grapefruit juice, a half an ounce of lemon juice, and then one ounce of this grapefruit caviar, which Michaela's husband was kind enough to make for us. Um, because it's, it's not real caviar from, from fish. You actually have to make this from some grapefruit juice. Uh, Michaela, do you know how he, how he worked this one out for us? So he sure, uh, yes, I do. Um, yeah, we did a little bit of research on it because I thought it was actual caviar that just looked like, like grapefruit. Now, you can go buy this at the store, but I think it's all re- really fun if you make it yourself because it's kind of fun. Um, what you're going to need is some agar agar, which you can get from a store. And you add that to uh, 16 ounces or 8 ounces, depending on how much of this you want to actually make, um, of grapefruit juice. It needs to be 100% grapefruit juice. Um, if you get kind of the, just the simply grapefruit, that's probably the best way to do it. It's okay. If it has a little bit of the pulp in it, if it's super pulpy, uh, you might want to strain it a little bit cause it can't be, um, like Grove stand style, but you're going to, uh, bring the agar agar, probably two tablespoons in with, uh, your 16 ounces and you're going to bring that to a boil and then let it cool. And what you're going to do is you're going to use a syringe to mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. kind of soak, suck up some of this pample mousse agar agar mixture. Okay. And uh, while you have been making this, hopefully you have some oil and it can be uh, canola oil or vegetable oil. Um, you're wanting that to be very cold. So you can put that in the fridge for a couple hours. And what you do is you pour the oil into a cup and then very slowly you kind of squeeze this and syringe off um, little these little beads of this agar agar grapefruit mixture, okay? And what's gonna happen is it's gonna solidify uh, very quickly on the outside and it stays this really beautiful little caviar looking bead and that you can make them as big or as small as you want. Um, So we experimented with, you know, making them kind of larger to making them really teeny tiny. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun actually. And they'll keep in the fridge for a couple of weeks. So if you want to get all fancy and make this for your own uh, party, you can do that and you could be a princess because it's a beautiful drink. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's, it is very beautiful. It's very pink. It's very brunch centric, I think. Um, and yeah, I, 
making the grapefruit caviar it's it's a lot of a process just for this one little drink but it's it was like you said it was kind of fun to have them and you can do it basically with any liquid you want so you can play around with you know different different things so we'll have to now that we know how to do this we'll have to uh keep that in mind the next time we're looking to have fancy cocktail dinner party but uh you know a princess probably is very fancy now i had to look after the movie ended because I was like, wait, why was she in detention? Because it's like a blink of you and you'll miss it kind of thing. You know, she just kind of says that in passing to her dad at the at the very front. But like you said, she has a lot of a lot of growth. She's very kind of standoffish. She stands up for herself, you know, kind of, you know, just a popular girl. So she doesn't really uh, you got the feeling that she was, you know, kind of running in the same circles as Andrew Clark, the athlete. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he presumably a popular kid as well. But uh, but, you know, Brian and Allison. And, you know, John, the the next character we're going to talk about, they're not in the same social circles as Claire. So, yeah. So when she says she doesn't think she deserves to be there, that's exactly what she means. Yeah. Yeah. But she kind of changes her tune. Right. So there's a lot of back and forth between her and um, the last character, John Bender, who is a uh, total bad boy, right? Like he has a knife. He brings a knife to school. Who does this? Don't do that, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, don't do that. Um, he brings a knife to school. He calls her a bunch of names. He sexually harasses her and she kind of puts up with it. She, I mean, how do I say this? She stands up to him and tells him that he's a jerk, but you know, he's not in, he's not in detention for doing any of those things and he probably should be. Um, yeah. She just, she just, looks at him in the way that he's beneath her. So she doesn't give it much merit, I guess is what I'm saying. And Mm -hmm. so, but by the end of the movie, right, by the end of the day, um, she kind of helps him. He gets stuck, not stuck. He gets locked in a supply closet because he refuses to follow the rules and be quiet and stay in the library uh, for detention. So Mr. Varnon locks him in a closet, which I'm pretty sure is also against fire code, uh, but whatever. Yeah. And she like sneaks in there to see him and she gives him a kiss and they kind of have an exchange um, because she, you know, is, uh, comes to realize that he's not this amoeba and all the things that he has been saying and doing is directly because of the pain that he's feeling and it's a defense Mm -hmm. mechanism. So she kind of forgives him all of that. Um, But, and at the end, you know, she is much kinder to everyone and she realizes that, you know, these are, these people are are having the same struggles that she is. Um, Mm -hmm. But you see that a lot more evidently than in any other character as far as the connection between the other people yeah and kind of her her big you know personal like discourse that she's having is um her parents you know are kind of attentive to what they want i don't i don't know if her parents were supposed to have been divorced or maybe just not a not a loving set of parents maybe and uh she you know had mentioned the fact that they both kind of use her and you know, buy her all of these things to I more or less kind of win win one of the parents' favor over the other one. So you got it was kind of maybe like a like a uh, you know, some sort of like divorce or like I said, just kind of some sort of unhappy marriage that they had going on at home, maybe. So Yeah, I think they were definitely still married, but they used her as a means to get back at one another for like revenge. And mm-hmm. she could see right through it. She's not stupid. 
and it hurts her feelings, right? Because she's like, my mom is not great. My dad is not great. I don't like any of these people. <laughs> like, and I, um, they actually say, you know, if you had to choose, you really had to choose which one to live with. She was like, I'd go live with my brother. Like, I don't, I, I don't like either of them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really yeah. tough, right? Like that's a, that's a very harsh reality for a girl. Uh, and while she's dealing with being this ping pong ball between her parents, she's also really pressured by her friends to do the right things and stay or do the cool things and dress a cool way. And, and that means like dumping on all of these other people who she has come to really like, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a, you know, a similar setup to Brian's and to uh, Andrew Clark's kind of uh, dynamic, right. Where they were just feeling, feeling the pressure to, you know, be this great athlete or to be really smart and get good grades. And she's really feeling pressured more so by uh, her friends and her social circles, you know, and the way that she acts and dresses and the people that she hangs out with. Uh, It's very similar uh, to another John Hughes film that we talked about uh, last week, you know, where kind of the kind of the popular girl was under that same kind of pressure to, you know, date the right guy and to look the right way. Um, and if you don't do that, then you lose your <laughs> whole friend group because uh, I guess that's that's how these cliques run in, uh, you know, these high schools, especially in, in these uh, kind of high school coming of age stories. But but yeah, like you said, she probably has the most growth of of any of them. She does the best at kind of identifying with all of the other characters um, and their, uh, you know, kind of own struggles. And then ultimately, uh, you know, it comes together with the uh, most opposite of her character, who is the criminal. And the criminal is John Bender, played by Judd Nelson. Yes, who doesn't even get dropped off at school. He like walks, the first time we see him, he walks across the parking lot and literally pays no mind to a car that is uh, dropping Ali Sheedy off, which is Allison. And the car doesn't, the car ends up having to stop because he does not stop. He doesn't even look that car's way. That car could hit him and he would not, um, he would not have even noticed. It looks like he's just, um, he's going to do what he's going to do and everybody can just get out of his way or kill him. I mean, either one is <laughs> he really just does not care about anything is what he is trying to kind of, um, immune, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we don't really find out what specific thing led him to detention. But by the time this film's over, he's already gotten like eight more detentions. So you get a you get the feeling that this is just kind of habitual. But let's uh, let's run through his cocktail right here, and it's very smoky um, and uh, smooth, which I guess is is how John Bender's a character is kind of in this thing. So to make this one, you're going to need one and a half ounce of uh, the recipe calls for brocolotic uh, Port Charlotte single malt scotch, which is an Islay scotch, so it's very smoky, heavily peated. Um, you're going to need three quarters of an ounce of Carpano dry vermouth, and you're going to need, I believe we used a half an ounce of Amaro Montenegro, um, and you basically just uh, combine these um, in a shaker or a glass, stir them, and then you're going to strain it over a rocks glass with an ice cube, and then if you have the means, you can smoke it either with a smoking gun, which is what we used, or you can, I think you can buy like little like smoke, like stick kind of things that you light on fire and set the glass on top of. Uh, but the, the key here is that 
this is just supposed to be, like I said, very smoky and very kind of smooth and uh, seductive of a drink to play on the uh, criminality of this character played by Judd Nelson. Yes. And he is smoky, man. He's the one who brings the pot uh, that they all end up smoking uh, in on various times throughout the day. He um, He's very dark. This is definitely the most boozy i think of all the drinks that we've had mm-hmm. um and it it was um as the the single we had this really beautiful kind of spherical ice cube that we put our in our glass and mm-hmm. so as that melted um it smoothed out just like the character right because he comes in as a force of nature and he's rude obnoxious he cusses he you know he lays a lot of homophobic epitaphs at people he mm-hmm. is just a bully and not a nice guy. I have a, I, I love his character in that he, it's so well played by Judd Nelson. I have a visceral dislike of this character pretty much the entire movie. Um, mm-hmm. He, but there's a reason for it. Right. And he kind of dances around the subject a little bit. It, you know, you have a feeling that his, he does not come from a really good home life. He has two different shoes on. Like they're not just mm-hmm. different colors. Like he has two different shoes on. You don't know if it's because he can't afford two pairs and maybe like one was less worn. Um, he's dressed like kind of like a ragamuffin. He, he's got all this eclectic stuff. His hair is very long. He's just really um, uh, hard. He's a hard. And, and to be honest, the first couple of sips of this drink is kind of hard to take in unless you like a lot of smoke. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but it, it mellows out so beautifully. This this drink was amazing. Yeah, this was uh, yeah definitely one of the one of the favorites from these five for sure. And uh, Judd Nelson in this role is just fantastic. Like you said, you immediately dislike him because he is so abrasive, um, and kind of in like this weird like charming way almost. And he's he's basically the catalyst for how this story gets told. So uh, if you want to look at the Breakfast Club, it's basically like a monologue that he's giving throughout this whole thing. And then people are just kind of reacting to what he's saying throughout it. So he's very much kind of narrating this day. Um, but yeah, it, as far as the drink goes, this was, this was excellent. Uh, now for me, the character of John Bender, he also has a lot of growth and you can see like, even though he is abrasive and is saying, you know, completely inappropriate things and trying to rile everyone up, um, you know, there's a point kind of, early um, on in this day of detention where he decides uh, everyone needs to get out of that room and they go, they know that the, you know, the vice principal guy there is out going down the hallway. So they go, cause he wants to go, basically he wants to go get the, uh, the weed out of his locker, uh, which has like a guillotine in it. And he has spray painted on there. He says, do not open this locker or you will die or something like, something like that. So, um, but he gets the weed and they get to a point where they're, you know, basically trapped right they run into this fence and he takes the weed and he sticks it down brian's pants and is like uh you guys just get back to the library and he just goes off to take the fall for all of these uh you know these other kids you know he he bites the bullet to protect them um because he knows that I think he sees himself as kind of a lost cause and he knows that he can, like I said, he can, he can uh, jump on this grenade for the rest of them to save them from the day. So the exchange between him and Mr. Vernon 
or Varnon is very tough because there's no way now that an administrator or a teacher would get away with talking like that to a student, right? No matter how much verbal abuse the student laid on him, um, he needed to not take the bait, Um, but he doesn't do that. So not only does he get like eight or nine more weeks of Saturday detention, which was that even a thing ever? I don't know if that was a thing. Um, But if, if, if that's the case, when he does make the decision to go ahead and distract the vice principal and send all of the others back to the library a different way. It's actually a really beautiful moment because he, I don't think he would have done that at the beginning of the day for sure. Um, But he was like, it's, it's me. It's fine. It's fine. And so of course, you know, Mr. Vernon, that's when he locks him in a closet and it's a bigger closet. It's not like you know, like a broom closet, but it's a supply yeah, it's like closet. A, like he, a storage room kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But he locks him in there for the rest of the day. And, um, you know, the others get to kind of sit there and, um, you know, get away with it. And it's, it's really interesting because he, you think that John doesn't like Brian. He makes a lot of fun of Brian for being smart and talks about, hey, you know, are you a virgin? Virginity is like openly discussed in this group um, mm-hmm. as as a bad thing. You know, he gives um, Claire uh, a bunch of grief about is she a virgin? Is she not a virgin? Um, and it turns out he actually seems to really like Claire at the end because when she decides that she wants to, you know, give him a kiss, he, you know, lets her <laughs> and then he kisses her later and in, in the movie as they say goodbye which happens right in front of her car and so mm-hmm. it seems like he is willing to give her the chance to um maybe make this into something i don't i don't know i don't think he would have done that it was easy for him to it, kind of let his guard down and let her kiss him in this closet where there was no one was going to see but I think it was something very different for them to do it in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, and they kind of have this connection, but yeah, we find out that John uh, Bender's character there has a really rough home life. He's kind of going through this thing where he's like play acting how Brian is with his family and how, you know, how much they love each other and all this stuff. And then he, and then Andrew, uh, Emilio Estevez's character, you know, asks him about his home life and he's basically reenacting uh, the scene where he's, you know, getting beaten by his father, you know, and Andrew's like, ah, that's not real. Um, but, you know, John pulls the sleeve up on his arm and shows him a burn. He's like, that looks about the same size as a cigar, right? He's like, that's what happens in my house if you spill paint on the garage floor. So, you know, just this, just this terrible home life. And that's kind of what he's dealing with. That's like you said, that's why he's so um, kind of abrasive and obnoxious and, you know, is taking it to everyone else. That's kind of his defense mechanism. And yeah. he's, he kind of, by the end of the film is in a place where he can kind of lower those defenses a little bit once they've all kind of come to terms with, you know, even though these are five different people with five different, you know, kind of stations in life, you know, as they said in this letter that, you know, they're, they're really not all that different. They all have struggles and, family problems and uh, pressures and uh, things so they can all kind of come together under that banner. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Now, I think that's one of the reasons why this film did so well is because even though it is super dialogue driven, there's not a lot of things that actually happen uh, <laughs> in this film. Um, it it has resonated with people. I mean, people I mean, th- this is an arguably uh, or arguably the most popular John Hughes film of all time. Everybody seems to really love it. It was added to the National Film Registry in 2016. Um mm-hmm as being culturally, uh, aesthetically significant. It's definitely that. Um, it's, it's really, you know, and it ends with them, you know, at the beginning they were told, hey, we're gonna do things a little bit different. You've gotta write an essay on who you think you are. And they write back that letter. Actually, they all band together and ask Brian to write the letter. And so he does. And as they all kind of go back to their lives, you wonder if, um, this Saturday really has changed them all. And if mm-hmm. they will, if things will be different on Monday, because yep. even though Claire has said, no, it won't be, I, I will ignore you. I don't think she's going to get to do that now that everyone has seen her kissing um, uh, the criminal guy. Right. So uh, yeah. uh, I, I, I think they're all going to be a little bit different now. Maybe they're not going to be besties, but maybe they could not bully each other or, or play pranks on each other, you know, uh, right. pretend they don't exist anymore. Yeah, exactly. They, they kind of have this, this shared experience. And uh, that's, that's kind of my takeaway from it at the end of the film is that they're, you know, this day's over and it's probably going to go back to the way things were by and large, but there is going to be some, you know, some level of, identification with each other you know going forward like i don't know that you know i don't really buy into the fact that like andrew the athlete and allison the basket case were going to go on and and have this high school romance um but i i do think that you know maybe uh you know like like you said kind of going forward they were going to be you know more appreciative of you know these other uh kids that they spent time with and other kids and uh, these other groups. So, yeah. So that's that's kind of the Breakfast Club. So it's about it's about these characters. Ninety percent of the film takes place in the library where they're having detention. Um, now, like you said, this is it's not not really arguably. It is probably the most famous of the John Hughes films. It's the one people love the most. I think that if you saw this film between the ages of like fourteen and eighteen, nineteen years old. This is probably one of your favorite movies that you've ever seen um, because you identified with it because it's it's very much a tale of teen angst and things. Um, it's similar to um, like the Kevin Smith films. If you're those age when you saw Kevin Smith, who takes a lot of inspiration from uh, John Hughes, um, it's very much that same kind of thing because you saw things that you identified with it, whether it was one of these specific characters or a combination of them, you can kind of see yourself in them. And that's why I think it was so identifiable for it. Michaela, you and I are a little bit on the young side to probably have been lured into this one quite so much. But um, as far as a film goes, I like this one a lot. I like really dialogue driven movies. Um, and this is definitely that. Um, and John Hughes, you know, great writer. It's very snappy. Uh, a lot of the, I guess we'll call them colloquialisms uh, from the 80s are very outdated and very inappropriate. And you get a slew of those here. This is an R-rated film. So um, that makes sense from that standpoint. But Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, rewatching it was probably good for me. I remember seeing it uh, as a teenager because everybody loves this movie or everybody around me loved this movie. And it's about high school kids. So it makes sense that I saw it then. Um, but it it wasn't my favorite. 
Um, I think it's an important film. And so I, I really appreciate all the things about it um, that got it added to the National Film Registry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think, I think now if I were to introduce this to my son, well, clearly I wouldn't because he's six, but when he's a teenager and we talk about, we watch this movie, I think there's a couple of things that we're going to have to preface and say, hey, that that wasn't, um, that wasn't appropriate then to say, um, but it, you know, it was a, a time then when that, uh, we were not at the age of, um, inclusion that we are today and things like that to try and explain that, you know, mm -hmm. back then you weren't, uh, labeled as a really awful person by using some of these things versus now, um, it really calls into question your character because we've aged, I don't know, 30 years now as a human mm -hmm. race, sure. right? So, yep. um, things like that. But yeah, I loved, I do love how they brought it back, uh, to the end where they end up, uh, not doing at all what they were supposed to be doing. And they write like one paragraph about, hey, at the end of the day, we're all a brain and we're an athlete and we're a basket case and we're a princess and we're a criminal. Like we are all those things together. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, you got that amazing kind of when Judd Nelson does the fist bump in the air way before it was done by Snooki's boyfriend or brother or whoever it was in that <laughs> show. Um, you know, it's it's a very great way that this this the way cinema works, if it does it right, is you kind of feel like you come full circle and your heart has changed, your paradigm has shifted. This film did do that. Um mm -hmm. it, you know, it did do that and it did it for so many. So yeah. Yeah, and as <laughs> And as far as that goes, like you mentioned, it comes full circle. This movie is an exact circle because it starts and ends with the Simple Minds uh, song, Don't You Forget About Me. Um, it's the letter. So the letter is just being read at the beginning of the film. And then at the end, it's being read again as, uh, you know, the vice principal uh, Vernon is reading the letter and all of the kids are getting back into the cars that they got dropped off on or dropped off it from in the beginning of the film. So it, it literally begins and ends the same exact way. Um, so, so yeah, so just a really good, concise story. Um, like we said, this one's a lot of people's favorites. And uh, for me, at least that's easy to see why. Um, I, and it was, it was good to revisit it. Cause like you said, we kind of probably saw it, you know, uh, a few years too late and hadn't really revisited too much ever ever since then might've caught, you know, bits and pieces of it, you know, on TV, uh, here and there, but to actually kind of watch it and analyze it was, uh, quite the treat. Um, one, one side note, it is sad that, uh, John Hughes, who passed away in 2009, uh, didn't get to see this added to the national film registry, uh, which I know for a lot of filmmakers is very important. Um, I had, uh, I'd mentioned Kevin Smith. I got to see him in 2020. It was about the last thing I did before the world shut down at a speaking thing. And someone asked him because Clerks was added to the National Film Registry in 2019, uh, which brought him to tears to tell the story of how that happened. So, um, so yeah, so very important for, um, you know, a lot of these filmmakers. So really good there. Um, and as far as the cocktails go, these were, these were pretty good um, overall, I would say. Uh, uh, you know, a miss 
uh, one miss. Uh, one was just okay, but you know, overall they were good. A lot of new uh, techniques and ingredients and things for us to add to the arsenal, and it's it's just fun to do something you know wild and crazy like make five super complicated cocktails for no reason other than we wanted to do it, and that's kind of what we did on Saturday. That was our uh, Saturday detention was just making these cocktails. (laughs) So, I mean, you did have to put up with me for like nine hours. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was, it was good. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really thrilled. I'm really proud of us because when I saw this, as I was looking up one cocktail to do, and I saw this and I remember texting you, Brian, and saying, this is a crazy idea, but what if we pull it off? And I'm so proud that we did because, uh, I would have never done any of these things uh, by myself. Um, I mean, clearly, it, it, it's been such a great uh, journey uh, learning about cocktails and techniques of cocktail making and combining my two favorite things, which is alcohol and film. So um, so thank you, Brian. And thanks to our listeners, because if y'all hadn't been continuing to listen for 44 episodes uh, plus, uh, we wouldn't be here today. So I, I just want to give a heartfelt thanks. Um, I hope you try some of these cocktails. I hope you aren't afraid to try them because um, if we, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I will say <laughs> That's yeah, that's right. Anyone can do it for sure. So if you do make a cocktail from this list or any others that remind you of the breakfast club, uh, let us know and let us know what you think about the breakfast club and how it fits into, uh, you know, your list of films that you've seen throughout your life. Um, And you can, you know, tag us and post pictures and let us know all that stuff on our Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. You can see all the pictures of ours because there's a lot of them on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And like Michaela said, we really appreciate everyone who has, you know, been listening to the podcast and giving us some good feedback and making cocktails and sharing all that stuff with us. So uh, if you're doing that, if you're enjoying the podcast, please go leave us a five-star review because that helps get drink the movies out there. And Michaela, where should they uh, be subscribing to the podcast at? You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else where Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Yeah, and uh, thank you again so much for listening through these uh, five cocktails with us. But Michaela, uh, I we got sentenced to more detentions, you know, just like John <laughs> did uh, for having too many too many cocktails in one episode. We're gonna have to uh, go to go to detention next week. Okay, fine. That's fine. Can I bring can I bring the Captain Crunch milk punch? Because that was ace. That was ace. So we're going to go uh, have another glass of milk punch and, and we will pick out a movie for next week. And we'll be back to talk to everyone next time on Drink, Drink the, the movies. movies. Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. <laughs>